0: Good morning. So good to see all of you today and see your smiling faces. I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles in 1 Corinthians. And today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. And uh, I want ask you to stand with me to read God's Word. One of the reasons we do it, obviously because it was done in the Bible and we see it at times, but... Wakes me up to the fact that this isn't uh, just anything we're going to read. This is from the Holy Spirit. This is God's Word. And we hear so many words all day long, all week long. We hear a lot of words. Some of them are really good and some of them are not. Um, Sometimes they're true, sometimes they're false. But what we're going to read right now 100% assurance and confidence that this comes from God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1-3. through three. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord God, we thank you that we just read what you gave to the church, a portion, a very small part, but a very significant part of what you say to your people. We thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege to freely read it in public, together. Thank you, Lord, that we had the privilege to to gather in this place today without fear of being arrested or harassed. We were able to come in freedom. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. We We don't take that privilege lightly. And I thank you for this group that has gathered. Thank you, Lord, for this church. And thank you, Lord, for your good hand of grace upon each life and upon each family, even in the midst of, of many challenges, in the midst of, of many things that you are using to conform us to the image of your Son. Lord, we pray as we look at your word now, as we contemplate deep truths, significant truths, from you we pray Lord that we would we would be changed by you and we commit ourselves to you uh, to that to that end and to that purpose and all for your glory and we pray in Jesus name amen I wanna say right off the bat that this is an amazing church this is a church with an amazing heritage a a long line of godly and committed leaders that God has raised up in many, many settings. This is a church that takes seriously the fact that the church matters, that the church is not a building, but it is a people. The church is not a statistic, but it it is the family of God in this place. And we are family together. And there, I, I wanna make mention of this and note that I have observed and it is readily evident that there is a, a lot of depth in this place amongst the people of, of this place. And there is uh, so much commitment, so much deep commitment to God and to his people. And it has been learned and developed over the years uh, but let me just say this, uh, it, is, it is uncommon, and uh, there's always room for growth and deeper understanding. Today, we're going to look at developing a biblical understanding of your part in the church. You, may, you, you could come from all, all directions on this one. You may have a really good handle of your part in the church and be fulfilling that on an ongoing basis. And, You just need to keep doing that, and you need strength from God to do that. Uh, You may have a a somewhat shaky handle on your part in the church, and therefore you somewhat flounder in your interaction with with others in the church. Or or you may actually have never really given it a lot of thought. And so, my prayer today is that God would would, would change us as as we look at His Word and as we consider these truths. And that, that as we look, especially at what Paul wrote, that you know I I ignore introductions to Bible books often. I just, you run right past them to to the juicy stuff. Intros aren't usually juicy, right? So you just you just go right past. It's it's a, it's a formality. You got to just read it, and so you can get to the stuff. But I hope and pray that as we look at this this intro to 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 one letter in the New Testament, that that God uses it, and especially one verse in this intro to really grab a hold of our hearts as it relates to, to the church, to Christ's church. Now we're looking at 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 1-3. Paul wrote this to a group of born-again believers in Jesus who were, were riddled by division, among other things, and that division was caused by sin and selfishness and, and a reliance upon Hierarchies and and uh, social status; they were somewhat confused about how following Jesus played out into daily living. And in verse one, Paul begins. Paul he names himself, and he says, "Called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus." He he's called by God, and to the, and, and and our brother Sosthenes, and someone who's usually ignored. (laughs) Most of us wouldn't be able to say that Sosthenes also addressed the church in Corinth. They wrote to the church of God in Corinth, sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Called to be saints. Paul reminded them that he was called by the will of God. He he didn't choose his position in Christ or in the church. God called him And he responded, and and he was called by the will of God just as they were called by the will of God to be in Christ. In chapter 1 and verse 23, he said, We preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are called, it is the power of God. Literally, Christ, the power and wisdom of God. It's one of the reasons why we named Sophia Sophia, our youngest, because it means wisdom, and Jesus is the wisdom of God. We didn't name her power, we named her Sophia. With Christ, the power and wisdom of God, and then in verse 30, he says, He, Christ, is the source of your life in Christ. New American Standard says, By his doing, you are in Christ. So he writes to a Christian community in Corinth. And he says it's, it's the, the church of God, not the church of Paul, not the church of Apollos, as many in that church were bent on, on insisting. It was Christ's church, God's church, it was not the church of any individual. That was part of their problem. Some said, I am of Paul, and others said, I am of Apollos. And they were divided about who who was their true leader and and they they were ignoring the 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 leader capital L the head of the church Jesus Christ himself Paul says he's writing to these people who are sanctified they are consecrated they are set apart for God's purposes and God's use it's put in the perfect tense it indicates a a permanent state or condition resulting from a previous action God had acted upon them. He had interfered in their lives. He had had broken through their sin with his overcoming grace, his sovereign grace. They were sanctified in Christ Jesus. God had acted upon them in a a permanent way. Verse 2, he says, he is writing to this church. Who, is, who were called and are sanctified and who, who together, verse 2 says, with all those who, who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And to call upon Christ is to be saved. Romans ten thirteen. all who will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. To call upon means to trust in, to believe in, to rely on, to surrender to. The present tense there indicates the pattern of their life. To to all who have called on and continually call on the Lord. It was was the habitual pattern of their lives. They they lived in the gospel. They they came to Christ in in the power of of the gospel and continued to live in that realm. They they trusted in him. Verse 3, he gives a, a common greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He he prays grace for them, uh, the unmerited kindness of God that finds its sole motivation in his unfathomable riches of sovereign grace and kindness. He says grace to you and peace, the deep abiding sense of well-being Knowing that God is with you, so all is well. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He pairs Jesus with the Father as the source of grace and peace, thereby declaring Jesus' divinity that he is God. And it's God's church, it's God's work, it's it's God-initiated, God-sustained, and God will complete that work, he will see it to completion. So Paul is writing to this church, and it's an introduction. But I want you to look again at verse 2. Because it points out an often neglected truth in the church today. It is addressed to those who belonged to the church at Corinth. A church. A church. Who along with all believers, those who in every place call on Jesus, the church. The primary implication is this, every person who is a member of the church, capital C, needs to belong to a church, little c. If you belong to the church by faith in Christ, you need to be a part of a church. And it's, it's not something that is just, well, maybe if I get around to it. It is, it is meant to be put together. And I'm going to basically my aim in this sermon is to show you why and how and the implications and ramifications of that. Just so we're clear, uh, we're going to look at five questions today. They're they're on your sermon notes. What is a church? What is excuse me? What is the church? What is a church? Is church membership biblical? Why belong to a church? And what are the signs of a healthy church member? So let's just take them one after another, shall we? Uh, Number one, uh, what is the church? Big C. What is the church? Capital C. Um, It is all who believe that Jesus Christ is God the Son and who trust him as their Lord and Savior. It's comprised of that group. All believers throughout the world, baptized into Christ and indwelt by his Spirit the entire body, everyone who knows the Lord, all true born-again believers in Christ, justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, for God's glory alone. And this is important to know because we are all, this group that that, that is, is being that is the, comprising the church is one in Christ, is to be one in Christ no matter what local assembly or fellowship we belong to. We are one with our brothers and sisters in Christ. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. We are the bride of Christ. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9 tells us that uh, on that day there will be people from every tribe and tongue and and nation uh, that have been gathered by God in his church. People that never would have hung out together outside the church find a family inside the church. So what is the church? All who believe that Jesus Christ is God the Son and who trust Him as their Lord and Savior. Born-again believers in Christ. Second question, though, is what is a church? What is a church? Little c. A church is a community of born-again believers under qualified leadership who gather regularly for worship and growth and outreach. It is a localized expression of the body of Christ. Living daily in relationship and community. Obeying the head of the church, Jesus. And engaging in preaching and teaching and baptizing and the Lord's Supper and discipline and other things. All the things that the church is called to be and do. It's the true... Here's the idea here. The true church of Jesus Christ, wherever it organizes and gathers organically speaks of Christ in a local way and then collectively impacts the entire world. It's the idea of thinking globally, but living locally. Think globally, live locally. I I see something very significant in verse one, and I, I will just admit to you that usually I don't see really significant things in the first lines of books in the Bible except well except for genesis and hebrews and matthew now first corinthians usually i pass this one by because it's like oh yeah i know that it's um just a salutation there's something deep and significant in verse one that that we can't pass we, i can't go on until i tell you about this what do you hear blow your socks off if you're wearing them um, First of all, a background. Paul founded the church in Corinth on his second missionary journey, and he was assisted by Priscilla and Aquila. Now, Silas and Timothy helped out as well. They came along uh, a little bit later, and Paul's center of operations was the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue. He was preaching out boldly in the name of Jesus in the synagogue of all places. Now, that's very important uh, because of what I'm going to tell you next the Jews resisted the gospel to the point that at one one time Paul then leaves the synagogue and doesn't preach in the synagogue anymore. But not before leading Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and his family, and many other people to Christ. Now, when he had been in Corinth about a year and a half, you see this in Acts chapter 18, by the way, Um, He was brought before a Roman court, a civil court, by Jews who didn't want to hear the gospel, by Jewish leaders. Sosthenes was a a Jew who was the leader of the synagogue then. I hope hope this is becoming clear now, what what, what I'm about to tell you, but let me just say it. Um, first of all uh, Sosthenes The leader of the synagogue Was beaten by Greeks A Jew was beaten by Greeks For allowing Paul To be able To be brought to this Civil court Okay Paul a believer in Jesus Sosthenes A non-believer A Jew And the Greeks The Greeks were beating Sosthenes For allowing Paul Bringing him there They're like "Do your, Deal with your own problems Don't bring them to us Paul was being persecuted for preaching Christ, and most likely Sosthenes, as the synagogue ruler at that time, would have presented the case to Gallio, the, 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 the proconsul, the, the, the head of the, the, the guy who was trying the case. Later, he became a believer. How do we know that? 1 Corinthians 1 1. Paul, called by the will of God, to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. He's right in the church in Corinth. Corinth is where that happened. And Sosthenes was probably the light, one of the lightning rods for it, it happening. And now he's his brother in Christ. He, he's a co worker of in ministry. It's significant that Paul begins his letter to the church in Corinth, a church in relational turmoil, by highlighting this crucial importance of the church and and a church, being a part of a church, uh, the local church, and by writing with a man who used to be his enemy. And, And he shows the unity of the family of God, how the gospel brings people together who would never get along outside the church. Let's go to the third question. Third question. Is church membership biblical? Now, I'm going to say this. Membership is an interesting word. We don't like to use it in the realm of the church often, sadly. But you can use other words. Commitment to a church. Being a part of things. Covenanting with a community of faith. Whatever you want to call it. Is it biblical to do that? and, And more specifically, is a formal, definable process by which a church's leaders identify who is a part of that particular assembly, something that the Bible speaks to? Or is it just a man-made thing? Now, I will say this, some could say, well, it's, it's, uh, it's not explicitly commanded in scripture, which is true so many see it, I said explicitly, it's not explicitly commanded I believe it is implicitly taught but it is not explicitly commanded so many people say hey this is an option it's really not necessary it's just an organizational thing that churches do people are just like that I don't buy that Um, a lot of people will say this it's not necessary it's just an option I belong to the universal church of Christ there's no need for me to belong to or be a member of a local assembly. I'm part of the big group. Whenever someone says that to you, watch out, because that means they don't want to be accountable to you. It's easy to l- get lost in the big group, but when you're known in the small group, it's another story. But I want to give you nine reasons that seem to, in- to imply the existence of a definable membership. A formal commitment to each other, to one another, on the part of believers, in a local church, and on the part of the local church to its members. There's a, a two-way uh, commitment here. And the church, again, is the people of God, not the place. So the first, the first thing is this. Is, is, and some of these things you are going to go, oh, of course. <laughs> first is the existence of church leadership. There weren't to be local churches. Why would... Uh, Uh, continually in scripture it it talks about building leaders and appointing leaders in certain towns and addressing leaders and there wouldn't need to be leadership. But the existence of church leadership assumes that they know who they are leading. (laughs) Leaders need to know the sheep. Who theirs are. So they don't go and watch over someone else's. Who they are accountable for. Go with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders and he's about to leave and he gives them this, this heartfelt address. And he basically says to them, he's re- talking to the elders, the leaders of the church in Ephesus. He had called the, uh, verse 17, he had called the elders to come to him. And here's, and he says a lot of things to them, but at verse 28 Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. That means they know who their flock is. It would be crazy to tell them to take care of a flock they didn't know. Pay careful attention to, uh, to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Now, not the whole church. Those were the only elders that ever would exist. Or else some of our elders present here are, you know, out of a job. They weren't the elders of the church for all time. They were elders of that church for that time. And then they died and they got new ones. That's the way it goes. We're local people. We don't live in two places at one time. At least most of us don't. Um, but the existence of church leadership, they know who they're accountable for and and Titus says, go and appoint, uh, Paul says to Titus, appoint leaders in every, in every city, in every town, in every, at every church. 1 Peter 5, shepherd the flock of God among you. He's speaking to the elders. So the existence of church leadership, that should be clear. Uh, the second is, um, and this rolls right along, you could have put them both in one, but I decided to have nine. Uh, it's this, the existence of church followership. Followers in the church, people who the leaders lead, the, who follows the leaders, uh, account, there's an accountability built into leadership. It's interesting there's a protection built in too, because in Acts 2029, 20, Paul says, "I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be on the alert knowing that for, for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And he commends them to God in the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. But the church followership, accountability leadership, must be, there must be an identifiable group that is accountable. That there's a group that is called, and, and this is a This is our setting here at Grace Church. There are leaders and there are followers, and it's not a hierarchy, it is a roles that God has put us in. Doesn't mean that the leaders are any better or even more spiritual or, or whatever. Not definitely not more worthy. We all probably feel less worthy. But the, the, the existence of church followership. And there, there were churches. And you look in Acts 16.5 and 1 Corinthians 14 and so many other places that the churches are being addressed. Uh, you know, every book in the New Testament is written either to a church, to a group of churches, or to people who lead churches. It's all church-centric. It's a, it's a community of faith that is, that it, that was, that, that is supposed to be one of the reasons why you're not going to find one verse that says, by the way, when you come to Christ, go join the church. It is implied, it is assumed, it is expected, it is permeated through the entire New Testament. I know this rubs up against some teaching in the last 20 or 30 years in the body of Christ in America. So be it. Now, number three. You're going to love this one. The existence of church lists. Churches kept lists. They kept lists of widows. Who was a widow indeed, a true widow? If, they had, if a widow had family members that could, that could support her and should, she was not a, ch- a widow indeed. Don't put her on the list of being supported by the church. But they kept a list of real people that they helped. You look in other places, uh, Romans chapter 16, a whole list of people to greet. Real people who were known by the apostle Paul whom he loved to me he was willing to spend and be spent for they took lists the the church in Jerusalem chose from among themselves they they knew who was there they knew who was committed and they were able to choose because they they knew how how do they know who's among them how do they know in Acts chapter 6 that they should choose that well they asked the Lord but how do they know what group was amongst the the ones who could be chosen those who had given a testimony of faith those who had been baptized those who were there and committed with them and among them you see in the book of acts this idea that there is there are lists and in in other places number four the the existence of a decision a, a a a formal decision making process in the church acts chapter six go there with me acts chapter six and uh, I just referred to it but when, when the disciples were increasing in number there was a complaint that arose by the Hellenists uh, against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily serving of food they were taking their meals together they, were, they had gladness and sincerity of heart and everything was going great except well, there was that Ananias and Sapphira thing that happened right before but uh, that's what happens to fellowship when sinful people are involved so don't get too comfy here because stuff happens among people. Because we, you know, I said a couple weeks ago, what do you expect? You know, you married a sinner? What do you expect? You birthed sinners? What do you, you expect? You live in community in the church among sinners. So things happen. We need to deal with them in an appropriate way. But, and in, in, in here's what they did here appropriately. They basically said, verse 3, Acts 6, Brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, they had a reputation in the church already. They were known, they were committed, and then they, the elders, basically the apostles, said, "We will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word." And, and and here's what verse five says: When they what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose, they chose Stephen and and others, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. But there was a there was a decision making process in the church, and. You see it in other places, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 6. 1 Corinthians 5, there was a man who was in an immoral relationship and was disciplined by the church. Now, usually you think that would be done by the leaders of the church. But interestingly, look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and, and verse 6, verse 5. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he's referring back, Paul's referring back to the man in in, in chapter 5 of 1st Corinthians who was put out of the church. He thought he was a believer. The guy thought he was a believer and he was having a really immoral relationship. And, and he says, if anyone's caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. He's writing to the church. And then he says in verse 6, for such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. The entire church put him out of the church. The majority inflicted that for the for the purpose of reconciliation and repentance so a decision-making process fifth reason I'm gonna give you is the existence of a formal welcoming process It's always a good thing to be welcomed except when you're Paul and you're not welcomed like in Acts chapter 9 he gets converted he gets saved in this dramatic way and he goes and tries to associate Acts 9 26 he came to Jerusalem and he tried to associate to join the disciples. He wanted to join the church. They wouldn't let him. They were all afraid of him. They did not believe that he was a disciple. So what happens? Barnabas shares Paul's testimony with the church. Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And verse 28, he went in, Paul, went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. For that time, he was a part of that church. Welcomed, not not, um, not from the get-go, but once someone took up for him and advocated for him. But there was a welcoming process, bringing one into the fellowship. Uh, In the book of Acts, they gave the right hands of fellowship. There was a a gladness that would happen amongst, uh, even a physical gladness amongst the people. Okay, there's a, there, then, there, then number six, the existence of a formal dismissal process. Now it's getting juicy. Uh, uh, if, there, if you can be formally put out of something, it kind of implies that you were formally put into it. Now there's a margin of error in welcoming process. The guy in 1 Corinthians 5 thought he was saved. And people took his word for it up until certain things happened. Um, so uh, the, a formal dismissal process, and Matthew eighteen and other places uh, in First Corinthians chapter six about how you should deal with your with your issues. So uh, number seven, the existence of the one another's one another's. You can't do these alone or with people that you are not associated with. You you just can't do those to their fullest extent. These are ongoing disciplines, actions. These are these are effort put forth in close community with other believers. So you do the one another's in close community with people that you get to know. And the eighth reason I'm gonna give you is the ordinances, the, the baptism and the Lord's Supper. These imply belonging. They are literally invitations to membership. You can't be baptized unless you know Jesus, right? And uh, you, can't, you shouldn't take the Lord's Supper unless you know Jesus. <laughs> Paul says that in 1 Corinthians. Don't partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, not in accordance with its worth. So if an unbeliever takes it, it's it's not in accordance with its worth because it's not worth anything to them. It's just a thing they do. So um, think about this. Uh, You're recognized in a certain location by the people of God. You give testimony of your faith at baptism and you live consistently before a group of like-minded people in, uh, around, uh, gathered around a, an, an ongoing uh, celebration of the Lord's Supper where you remember the death of Christ, where you confess your sins one to another and, and confess how much you need Jesus and how that's what your whole common life is built upon. Ninth reason I'll give you is the body metaphor uh, coupled with the, pro- the proper exercise of spiritual gifts. You can see these in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4 and, and a, a lot of places, but I think it's probably the strongest explicit argument. Um, go with me to 1 Corinthians 12. Let's just look there. It speaks of members of the body. That's where we get the word membership. So it's not an organizational thing. It is an organic thing. It's, a, it's an idea of a body. You got feet and hands and, and all that. And... and um, Paul is referring to a local, not a universal body. By the way, a specific church—the uh, church of Christ doesn't just have one foot, one right foot, or one left foot, or one nose. It's a, it's it's like this: the church at great, the church of Christ here at Grace Church, we've got all the parts necessary to do what God has called us to do. We're not right this moment. We're not we're not uh, minus any of the parts we need to do to w- to do what God has called us to do today. Tomorrow's a different story and we'll hit tomorrow when that comes if, if Christ doesn't return first. But the idea here is that everything that we have right now, Paul is, is talking about a local, not a universal body. When the, word, when the term body is used with reference to the church, it usually refers to a local body of believers, local assembly. Um, being a member of a body is, is a church's public affirmation of a person's salvation read one writer this week that says, if you're not member of a church, you might, you might well be going to hell. And he follows that up with, look, I don't mean that you have to have your name on a membership roll just to, to get to heaven, because that would not be justification by faith alone, through grace alone, through Christ alone, for God's glory alone. Uh, but the idea there is the body is handicapped if all are not engaged. All have necessary gifts, and if, the, if, if membership in a body is a public affirmation of a person's conversion, you want to be there for that assurance. There aren't any Lone Ranger Christians. You don't see that, and especially for any extended length of time. You see people who get away alone in the wilderness and things like that, but in the the Bible context, you see people in community, not Lone Ranger Christians. Uh, And you you could really make the argument that is it even possible to be one of those? That's what that one writer I think was referring to. Now, in one sense, these reasons I gave you answer the question why belong to a church, but I want to give it in a little bit more relational terms now. Why should every believer be engaged and committed and accountable to a church? Why join a church, not just casually being a regular attender? Uh, Why link arms with the church and say, for right now, until God moves me otherwise, I am here. I am committed, I'm digging in, I'm rolling up my sleeves. These are my people, this is my family. Um, First reason is you are a part of the body if you're a believer. And the body missing parts is incomplete. And like I said before, this church has everything God intends it to have today to fulfill his purposes in this community today follow me when jesus said follow me that means join a group of disciples who together are god's people the household of god the family think about this sanctification is a community project we are so attuned in our american individualistic western mindset that it's all about me and jesus we ignore our family in the process we ignore the church in the process and we lose in the process sanctification is a community project And and I would be so bold to say, you can't be sanctified apart from the church. You can't do it alone. It was never meant to be done alone. You you don't see anywhere in the Bible that says, become a Christian, just you and Jesus, and then you go live out in the mountains and and you're gonna be fine until Jesus returns. Nowhere, does you can't do what the Bible says to do if you do that. You're part of the body. And 10, Hebrews 10.25, 10, don't neglect meeting together. We can't, obey, we can't obey all the biblical commands or use our gifts or accomplish what God wants us to without being a part of a church. It's not possible. Secondly, you, are, you need the help of others. You need the help in the body of Christ, building one another up, teaching one another the word of God, correcting each other when we sin, Again, no lone ranger Christians. We need to be connected in this way if we're to fulfill our calling in the world. Third thing is you need to be equipped for ministry. Ephesians 4 says God gave some as apostles and prophets and teachers and evangelists for the building up of the saints for, for what? To equip the saints for work of ministry. That the whole body would be built up and each individual part doing exactly what God built it to do. Involvement based on on your God-given spiritual gifts, that we build others up with our gifts and we witness for the Lord through our gifts. And, And fourth, you need protection that only the church can give. Hebrews 13, 17. Look with me there, Hebrews 13, 17. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them. This is not about government leaders. This is about church leaders. The context is the church. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls. The government's not keeping watch over your souls. The church leaders are. As those who will have to give an account. I'm going to have to give an account. The elders here are going to have to give an account. Pastors here are going to have to give an account. Anyone in ministry here is going to have to give an account. And let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. But obey your leader, leaders and submit to them. You need the protection only the church can give. Elders to watch over your soul. You need to be under the elders of one church. So the person who tells me they, they go oh, I go to this church, that church, and that church is an unaccountable. Who's, who are you? What elders are you under? Who is watching over your soul? You're you're unanchored, untethered. You're going to be tossed about by every wind and wave of doctrine. Fourth, you need, uh, fifth, excuse me, you, you, you strengthen the church by your presence rather than criticizing it and weakening it in your absence. As long as you join for the right reasons, though. You join for the right reasons. Now, wrong reasons would be of church membership. That would be, uh, one reason would be power to control things. Uh, another would be pride, you know, to feel superior to others. Well, I'm a member of the church. Uh, politics to push agendas. Uh, you join a house full of sinners saved by the grace of God. And it's not enough to say, I'm a member of the universal church and leave it at that. You need the accountability and support of a group of people who can get to know you and vice versa. If you come here and just keep coming here and you don't open yourself up and you don't get to know people, you're robbing yourself, you're robbing your family, you're robbing the church, you're even robbing the world. Because it's hindering the work of the family of God in this place. Now... Uh, What I would say is church membership is what obedient Christians do. Now, some of you are very uncomfortable right now. You said, I've been coming here for 15 years and I never had to join the church and no one's ever told me I should. No, 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 no. Well, let me say this. This is all meant in love and I'm I'm, I'm trying to be faithful to scripture. I realize there are churches that don't have formal membership processes. I came from one. For 14, almost 15 years, I served at a church with no formal membership process. But we had to work double time to figure out who was a part of the flock. We worked hard to do it and we took it seriously, but with no formal membership, you'll work harder to figure that out. With formal membership, you got the margin of error working as well. The the edges are always gray in, in any system that a church sets up. But what I'm saying is this, the elders of this church, the founders of this church over 40 years ago, decided to have a formal, definable membership. That hasn't changed, nor do we plan to change it. Now the elders of this church could say, you know, uh, we think we we're going to go to an informal membership we're not really going to have a process anymore and, and uh, we come to the congregation we vote on it and we all agree but we're not planning to do that we have a membership and, and what I say is this regenerated people seek out membership whether formal or informal whatever the leadership of that particular church has set up as the way to identify so when I came from Voyager's Bible Church we didn't have a church membership but we had to come up with some kind of thing We had elders and pastors and all these and and deacons and deaconesses. We knew who was a part. We just had to work harder to figure it out. But we had to come up with our own informal way, and we just didn't call it that. We still had it. It's kind of like Grace Fellowship of Grace Brethren churches. They say, well, we're not a denomination, we're a fellowship. Well, we are organized like one. We are a group of churches. Whatever you want to call it, the function. Uh, uh, regenerated people seek out membership whether formal or informal whatever the church leadership has identified in that place now the founders of this church decided long ago to do that and we are supporting that Uh, we believe it's a healthy practice to have a formal definable membership so it's how we know who's with us so we can move out and do something for the kingdom the main idea of church membership in a local body of believers centers on the idea of committed love and accountability Jesus said a new commandment I give you that you love one another even as I have loved you so you must love one another by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another it's it's, it's not a organizational thing it's an organic thing it's a family it's a body Ephesians 4 the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies every every joint every member According to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. See, church membership is implied and expected. I'm going to give you one last question: What what are the signs of a healthy church member? What should a church expect from its members? And this is a twofold commitment: us to the church, the church to us. How how is this committed love and accountability? displayed. give you three quick ones. First, show up. Show up. Attend regularly. Not just in body, but in heart and mind and spirit as well. Love the Lord and love your neighbor as yourself. Depend on and trust God. Hunger for His word. Engage with people. We, We say here, you see it in your bulletin, get on board. Get on board. If you're committed here, join the church. That's how we have set it up. I didn't set it up. Someone I didn't know a long time ago set it up was a very godly individual by the way and a group of godly individuals they decided to do this and I'm wholeheartedly with it so so show up and get on board second thing is support others support others don't just look at to get supported but go out and support people do the one another's Know other people allow yourself to be known get involved in lives give of your time and your talents and your treasure Use your gifts and skills and resources in serving and in encouraging. Be willing to spend and be spent. Seek peace, pursue reconciliation, pray. Love as if, I I saw this on someone's email recently. Love as if you've never been hurt. I like that. Love as if you've never been hurt. Well, some of us don't wanna get hurt again. We're not gonna love. We decide we're not gonna love, not gonna let anyone get close. Look, I got scars on my body, okay? I got 17 stitches on the inside of my right thigh back in 1979. Seven stitches on this finger cut in roast beef in 1980. Right side of my abdomen here, emergency appendectomy, 2004. I got scars. You probably, some of you have bigger ones than that, but I got some, some scars. and. I, I, I kind of like my scars, you know? They're kind of like badges. But here's the problem. Well, well, here's the thing. The pain is gone, but the scars remain. They remind me of what happened. That's not a bad thing, by the way. But some see their relational scars and they run from relationships. They become tough to be around. They carry scars like a sign, don't get close to me. Scars remain. You remember you still hurt. But not in the same way. If you dealt with it appropriately and biblically, if you resolve your differences and reconcile, see, I still do the same things I did before I got my scars, just with more wisdom. Put it under the blood of Christ. Let it remind you of the cross. Let your scars remind you of the cross, what Jesus went through. We say at Grace, get in a group. You know why? Because if you remain unknown, what are you doing? gotta be known you gotta know others last thing serve together serve together from your giftedness on mission in the community in the world active ambassadors for Christ that's a plural term we are ambassadors for Christ think about how many things in the New Testament are plural not singular we make them singular and we twist the message when we do no fence sitters get out and serve that's what we say here at Grace get out and serve we'll train you up and set you loose for active ministry but go do it speechless last weekend for me should be the model for this church for active engaged teamwork and ministry 50 plus people working in unison not complaining once working for hour upon hour upon hour pouring themselves out for the gospel that's our model See, Titus 2.4 says that he gave himself, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people, not a person, a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Lord God, thank you that every person that you have designed it this way that every person who's a part of your church needs to be a part of, of a church in a location and I know Lord there are people of, uh, that are either members that, that are quite possibly the most healthiest among us members of this church in name and function they operate in a healthy way in the body and they, we just say Lord give them the, the, the energy and, and, and grace to keep doing that Lord we also know there's members in, in name only not functioning those who have rendered membership meaningless and we know Lord they need to do some soul searching and I pray Lord that you you would you would lead them to engage here I know Lord there's a members here in function but not in name they've never officially linked arms with us in the way that we've set up as a leadership team and for them I just say uh, I pray Lord that you would lead them to just just do it and and I know Lord there are some here that are uncommitted to the church and I know that there are some here that are uncommitted to the church because they're not believers. And they can't join us. They can't be present. Because, and they can't enjoy uh, the life in Christ we have because it's foreign to them. I pray, Lord, you, you draw them to yourself. They would turn from their sins and believe in you. I also know, Lord, there's some people here that are believers that for some reasons remain uncommitted to this body. I pray, Lord, that they would, as Josh Harris says, stop dating the church. They would... They would commit thank you lord that that all who believe in you are a part of your your body lord may may every member of your body link arms with a local assembly and it's exciting to see what you might do as a result we pray in jesus name amen